now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. That video from the Olympics was one of the greatest stories of Olympic history, wasn't it? Rivals, I think, the, the, uh, the Olympic hockey team. Uh, but Carrie, when she, when she did that, the vault, it was so good. It was a great moment. Uh, if you're old enough to remember that, you'll remember how powerful that was. But let me ask you this. Can you remember a time when your dream was shattered? You ever had one of those times in your life? Um, you know, comeback stories are great. We love those. But when it comes to athletics, somebody's always gotta be on the losing side, right? I mean, you know, if you look at some comeback stories and your team was up and you were excited and all of a sudden the other team came back and, and won, man, that was, there was somebody on the losing side. And uh, that happened to me um, when I was a kid playing baseball. Um, well, let me just show you, this was me. That's circa 1978, I would guess, somewhere right in there. And I, I, I still got the pose, you know. Probably still have the glove, I don't know. Um, I, it's covering up the missing ring finger. Uh, but anyway, this, and I don't think it was this particular year. I had my mom send me that this morning. Um, just so y'all could see my athleticism in that photo. But, but there was a time whenever I was a kid, we, were, we had an undefeated season going. And this was like, I was really young, okay? And this was back when they actually told you if you won or lost the game. Y'all remember those days? When you would come back off and your dad would go, man, you lost by one! And you know, and you're like, oh man. And you knew that next time you had to do a little bit better to try to win. And so back then, so we knew that we had won every single game until this one game is the last game of the season and we lost it. And we were devastated by it. I mean, we were just young kids and we were crying and just, we were so upset that we had lost that game. And for many, you know, that's, that's kind of a sidebar story because athletics really don't matter in the big scheme of things. But for a lot of people, you have dreams, life dreams that actually turned into nightmares, and your dreams were shattered. Your, your, your dream of that perfect marriage or that, that beautiful marriage, you got past the I do, and he turned into a monster, or she turned into a monster, and you just were not able to push through that because your, the, the dream marriage that you had turned into the nightmare of all nightmares. Or you, when you started raising children and he was such a precious little boy or she was such a precious little girl and then something happened, they met that friend or, or they got with that group and all of a sudden the rebellion kicked in and you were like, oh no, this is not going the way I had planned. And, and those teenage years or maybe those young adult years, they just didn't go the way. Maybe you were that teenager, maybe you were that young adult and, and that, that dream and those hopes and everything were just dashed. And it, that those dreams turned into a nightmare. Or maybe you had that dream job that you thought was gonna be the end all, it was gonna be the one that you were gonna retire, but the amount of pressure, the amount of stress that it put upon your life affected your marriage, it affected your health, it affected your friendship, it affected your golf game, it affected so many things. And you're like, why in the world did I ever want this job? And now you're stuck in it. And so what do you do? What do you do with those moments? How do you go on from broken dreams? How do you heal from that? How do you get past from some of those things? How do you respond to those things that just really cause so much tumultuous stuff in our lives? It causes us to lose sleep at night. It causes us not to have an appetite or it causes us to have too much of an appetite. Whatever it is, 
Well, today, we're gonna look at the story in, in the Old Testament of a guy by the name of Joseph. Now, Joseph, if you go back to Genesis chapter 37, that's about where his story begins. And he goes all the way to the end, to Genesis chapter number 50. And the story of Joseph's life is one of real brokenness. It's one of really all the, the hopes and dreams were just dashed. But what we know along the way is that Joseph always was never abandoned by God. So let me just kind of give you an overview of that. And I would encourage you to go home and maybe this, re, this week just to read through this story of Joseph, beginning in Genesis chapter 37, going through chapter 50. But Joseph was the son of Jacob. Now, he wasn't his firstborn son, but he was the first son that he had with Rachel. All right, and so they had this son, and they loved him, and, and uh, they, he, was, he, he became Joseph's, or I'm sorry, he became Jacob's favorite son. Jacob later was named, changed his name to Isaac, okay? I'm, I'm sorry, to uh, Israel. And so Jacob loved his son so much, and he was the favorite. And so you remember the story when, when he gave him a coat of many colors? Probably learned that when you was a kid. You know, you've heard that story. Well, he got this coat of many colors, and, and Joseph had some dreams. And one of his dreams that he had was interpreted that all of his brothers, including his dad and his mom and all of his ancestors, all of them would one day bow down to him. Well, his brothers hated that dream. They hated that dream. Like, how dare you, you dreamer? And, and so what happened, one day Joseph was out checking on his brothers who were out you know, tending to their flocks and everything. He went out there, and they devised a plan to kill him. Well, one of the younger brothers, one of the other brothers stepped in and said, listen, we can't kill him. I mean, that would be wrong. So let's throw him in a pit and we'll take his coat back and make dad believe that he was devoured by um, a wild animal. But what they ended up doing is they ended up selling him to some passersby and sold him into slavery and they went down into Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, he became um, a servant in the house of Potiphar. And while he was in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife developed a crush on him. And so she came in and was trying to you know, um, proposition him, but, but Joseph, being the man of integrity that he was, he ran out. But what she did is she grabbed his coat and she held on to it. And then she went to Potiphar and made this false accusation against him, said, he's coming to me and he's tried to attack me, he's tried to, to sleep with me. And so what Potiphar did, what any good man would do, and you'd believe your wife, right? And he had um, Joseph thrown into prison. Well, while Joseph's in prison, he interprets some dreams. And as a result, through a process, and you gotta go read the whole story to get all the details, but what happens through interpreting some dreams, he ends up coming out and being elevated to a place of authority. He ended up being a place of a major influence in the land of Egypt. But God never abandoned him, even during that false accusation. Here's what happens in Genesis chapter 39. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So while he's in that prison under a false accusation, God is still favoring him. And so he interprets this dream and he gets to go into the house of, uh, of Pharaoh. And while he's there, this, this dream that he interprets was that there was gonna become a famine on all the land, the land of Egypt, the land of Israel, all that region, this, this long seven-year famine. So through all of this, Joseph says, we need to store up some grain. And he has this plan devised to store up so that all the surrounding nations would have to come to Egypt, come to Joseph, so to speak, or in, in ultimate uh, fashion there, would come to him in order to get their grain. 
And so guess who shows up one day? Joseph's brothers, not all of them, but most of them show up in order to get grain from Joseph. And they didn't know who it was they were talking to. And so Joseph eventually, guess what his brothers end up doing? Bowing down before him. And they need something from him. And they end up through it all. The whole family of Joseph ends up in Israel or in Egypt. And that's when they, the whole nation ends up there. They become slaves because they, they're growing in, in number and they go in, into slavery and eventually Moses has to come and deliver them out of the land of Egypt and get them back into the promised land. But that's Joseph's life. And Joseph's story, if we look at it, it's a story of perseverance, it's a story of forgiveness, it's a story of faithfulness to God, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Joseph's life made a comeback. Joseph's life is an illustration to us of how you can be mistreated, lied about, in the dumps, shattered dreams, all of the dreams that he had, he was known as a dreamer, all of those shattered dreams, eventually we see this great comeback in his life. But his whole story shows us what it's like to persevere through all of that. So I encourage you, go and make this a study this week, Genesis 37 through chapter 50, and it will ignite a hope your idea and your uh, ability to persevere in the midst of trials. But it's a story of forgiveness. When his brothers show up there in Egypt and he has all of this authority, he has to forgive them. We're gonna see that through the story today. But it's also just true of the faithfulness of God through all of these dark circumstances while he's in prison, while he's falsely accused, while this famine's going on. It's, It's a story of God's faithfulness, not just to him, but to the nation of Israel and ultimately to you and me as followers of Jesus. So I'm gonna give you three points today, and the first one being this. When it comes to come back, coming back from broken dreams, number one, I want you to expect God's presence. Expect God's presence in the midst of all of your broken dreams. Expect God to be with you. Just like Ann sang just a few moments ago, man, he is, he is so faithful to be with us through all of those things. Here's what happened in Genesis 39 two. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And so here he is, he's in the house of his master, and the master's looking at this and going, there's just something about this. There's something about the presence of the Lord upon him. Even though all these things are taking place, it was very evident to somebody else that the presence of the Lord and the hand of the Lord was upon Joseph. And what you and I need to do sometimes is in the midst of all of our trials, we need to reflect upon the presence and the past so that we can expect his presence in our present and in our future. That's a lot of present and presence, right? A lot of it. Here's the thing. When we're in the midst of a trial, it is often difficult to see God's presence or to sense God's presence. When those things, when your dreams are shattered, when things don't go the way that you had planned or even the way that you had prayed they would, it's often difficult to believe that the presence of God is with you. But sometimes a good reflection on the past lets us know that God has been with us through the trials. Whatever those trials might have been for you, It might have been you go all the way back to your teenage years and there were some things that took place and you just knew the presence of the Lord was with you. Maybe your parents went through a divorce and it was a difficult time in your life, but you know God's presence was there. 
And sometimes when we're in the midst of a trial, a good reflection, a good thinking back and reflecting upon God's presence in the past will help us to realize his presence with us in our present and in our future. Because no matter what life throws your way, we can always find comfort in knowing God is with us and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. That's what he promises to us. So realize, God, expect God's presence, even no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it may seem, look for the presence of God. Look for how God is at work. And you'll be surprised to find that he's right there with you no matter what. The next thing is this, and we're gonna spend some time here. Trust God's plan. This is hard. This is hard. We want to, we want to control life so much, don't we? We wanna lay out our plans. We wanna plan for the future. We wanna plan for retirement. We wanna plan how our kids' lives are gonna be. We wanna plan what our marriage is gonna be. But oftentimes, things go awry. Things go sideways. And eventually, we had to just go, God, you've got a plan. I can do all I can to plan my life and do the best that I know how. But ultimately, I've gotta trust your plan for my life. Chapter 45, verse five. And now do not be distressed. So this is when Joseph's brothers were before him. They realized who he was. They're feeling bad about throwing, putting him into slavery. And so Joseph looks at them. This is a moment that kind of this forgiveness goes on. He says, now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you have sold me here. Don't be mad about me. I mean, I'm, I'm okay, all right? Don't be angry. Don't be distressed about it. For God sent me before you to preserve life. We're gonna come back to this verse later on. But, but this is Joseph just going, listen, God's got a plan. And this is a part of it. So don't be distressed over it. For the famine has been in the land for these two years and there are five more years to come in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. This famine's not over and this famine has come and I am here for that reason. So God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So he's saying, listen, I want you to know God has sent me here. He used you to send me here. So I am here for a reason. So it was not you really who sent me here, but it was God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Listen, for me, I get a little, I wrestle with some of this, some of this story, just to be honest with you. As I'm reading through it, I'm going, you know, it's sometimes in the middle of a difficult circumstance. It's, it's hard for us to discern in the moment if what is happening to us is coming from God, right? You know, is, is God bringing this to me? Is God putting this on me? Did God cause that person to sin against me? Did God cause that? Did God cause me to sin and put me in the pit? That is a very difficult thing for us in the midst of trials, at least for me it is. I go, did God orchestrate this circumstance? Or do I just have to trust God's presence in the midst of it? So what I've learned over the years is this, that number one, or, or something true, God is not the cause of sin, okay? Bottom line, God does not cause one to, someone to commit sin. If someone has sinned against you, or if you've sinned against God is not the cause of that. Thank you, Ms. Libby. God's not the cause of sin. He's not the author of that. He's not the author of confusion. He is not the cause of sin. As a matter of fact, James wrote it this way. He said, let no one say when he is tempted that I'm tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted, and with evil, neither will he tempt no one. He will not tempt anyone with evil. That is not the way God works. That is not his nature. To call someone to sin is against the nature of God. But we can fully believe that God is sovereign. And that word right there is a theological word that has so many different meanings behind it. So when you hear someone say that, that God is sovereign over all things, ask them, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that word sovereign? And I've just come to believe that God has authority over all things so that, that nothing that happens in my life is outside of God using that for my good and for his glory. I don't know how you, how you wrestle through some of that stuff, but I just believe that God is not the author of sin, God, God does not call sin, but God can certainly use sin in a way that brings glory to him and causes my life to be better as a result of that. That if I, if I, if I journey with him the right way. So when we look at that, we've gotta trust him through it all. We just gotta trust God that no matter what's done to you or no matter what you do, we've got to trust God through it all and he will cause all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28, my life verse. But I want you to also know this, that a comeback is not about payback. And we've gotta, we've gotta check ourselves right here. Because you know, whenever, whenever your life is, is kind of wrecked and, and you feel like there's some people that are actually hoping you fail, and our, we kind of get this thing in us, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a competitive person, and so I'm like, well, I'll show them. I'll show them. Tracy and I, we got married really, really young, right before we went to college. I was actually 17, and she was couple of months older at 18. We got married in August. I turned 18 in September. We were going to Bible college. You had to get married before you went or had to wait a year, whole story there. But there were many people that actually said, you'll probably never make it. You'll probably never stay married. And there were times she probably stood, shouldn't have stayed married to me, to be honest with you. But you know what we said? We'll show them. We'll show them. Sometimes it might have been a, a bad motivation, you know, or a bad intention. But listen, we... Almost 35 years now, we've shown them, right? And we're gonna keep going, right? Right? Okay, we're gonna make it? Okay, good, good. And so listen, that, that may be good motivation sometimes, but it's poor intention. What we need to understand when it comes to these things that, that God says that vengeance is his. Even Paul reminded us of that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. The Lord is the avenger of all things. So when you're going through something and you're trying to make a comeback and you've got that I'll show them attitude, listen, your comeback is not about payback. It's about something bigger than that. It's about showing the power of God in the midst of some of the most difficult trials and circumstances of life. Here's what Joseph said. He said, do not fear for am I in the place of God? He said, I could probably have you guys killed if I wanted to. I've got that kind of authority. I could certainly have you imprisoned, but I'm not, am I God? Am I going to impose God's vengeance upon you? Certainly not. I'm just gonna stand back and let God do his thing. I'm just gonna watch God's handiwork. He goes in verse 20, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And what he says here, what you meant or what your intention was, your intention was evil, but God's intention is always good. God's intention is always good toward his children. That's all he wants for, he wants good for us. So it means going through a trial and coming out victorious on the other side in order for us to be better, 
that he's got good intentions for us. He's got good intention. Because here's the thing. A comeback is all about fulfilling the intention God has for our lives. It's not about vengeance. It's not about showing them. It's not about a get back. It's not about revenge. It's all about showing the handiwork of God. That is our intention. So we must have faith in his plan for our lives, and that's far greater than anything we could ever plan for our lives. We gotta trust his plan because our story fits into a bigger story, and it's God's plan of redemption. And so your story and my story fit along this big, long, eternal continuum. I mean, if you could look at life and you could look at it from, from eternity past to eternity forward, you've, you've got this little pin in that. Your, your life is just a, a, a dot in, in that eternal uh, spectrum. But your dot, your life, my life, is for his greater story. It's all about his plan of redemption. Verse, chapter 45, verse five, it says, and now do not be distressed, don't worry, or don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. But listen, God sent me before you to preserve life. That phrase, to preserve life, that is a supernatural thing. That is you and me going, I'm in a bigger God-sized story than I could have ever imagined. And your story of comeback, your story of redemption, your story of coming through some of those difficult times of life, God wants to use that. Did he orchestrate it? I don't necessarily believe that. But did he use it? Absolutely certain. He's gonna use it for your good and for his glory. All things work together for good to those who love God. Stay the course, because my job, my job is to put my life in God's hands, and God's job is to use my circumstances for his glory. So I just step into that and go, listen, God, it wasn't the way I planned it, but I've gotta trust you. I've gotta trust your plan, and I'm gonna step into that because my life fits into a bigger story. And some of you, your story, that's why we show baptismal videos. You hear stories of people who have been through things you never imagined, but then God steps in. When you're reading the story of Joseph, I want you to underline every time you see the words, but God, but God. When God steps into an unfavorable dire situation. It's a but God moment. Underline that in that story. It shows up so many times. Dr. Charles Stanley just died this past week, but he always says this, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. The great wisdom in that statement. If you get nothing else today, take this from Dr. Stanley. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Just step into obedience. Joseph obeyed God when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. He fled, falsely accused, went into prison. You obey God, leave the consequences to him. He came out stronger and better, more than he could have ever been if he would have given in to the temptation in that moment. He came out better on the other side because he obeyed God and he left the consequences to God. The final thing, real quickly, is this. Hold on to God's promise. Hold on to God's promise. Here's what we learn in, in, at the end of the story. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God, there it is, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Here they were in the promised land, but now they're gonna all end up in Egypt, in slavery. But God never abandoned his promise to his people. He sent Moses along several years later, over 400 years later. Moses would come along 
and deliver them out and take them back to the promised land. God promised that. And he made good on that promise for his people. I just got back, guess who has Israel? The Israelites, God's people, the Jews, they still have that land. God's still making that promise good for them. Whenever Jesus was about to die, his disciples were gonna go through some of the most traumatic experience. They were gonna watch their rabbi, their teacher, their leader, their savior. They were gonna watch him die on the cross. And many of them were gonna be very tempted to abandon everything that Jesus had taught them. So Jesus knew that. And when he gathered them up in the upper room, he had a foot washing, they had a meal together, he talked about the new covenant, but a part of that conversation in John chapter 14, he tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. No matter what comes your way, don't stop believing. Don't, isn't there a song about that? Yeah, sorry. If our keyboardist was really good, he'd have started playing that right there. But he's not. Um, but listen, don't stop believing in God because he is right there in the midst of it all, helping you through it. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? There's a place that I'm preparing for you, the ultimate promised land for all followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to prepare that place, and he's promising this to his followers. Would I have told you this if I didn't plan to come back? He says, and if I go to prepare that place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. That's a promise to you and to me. Just like Joseph was reminding his brothers, listen, I'm here for a purpose. And that is to deliver a remnant so that we can be saved, so that we can go back to the promised land. God has brought us here and our purpose is to share God's story of redemption. Yes, you and I have been through some difficult circumstances. Yes, we've been some broke, through some broken dreams, but our comeback story shows the power of God. It shows God's faithfulness. And it shows that there is something waiting for us on the other side. Do not lose heart. Do not lose hope. Trust in him. Believe in God. Believe also in Christ. And he has a promise for you and me. So ultimately, you can expect God's presence. You can trust God's plan. And you can hold on to God's promise. That no matter what, no matter how difficult this life gets, hold on to God's promise. If that's all you've got to hold on to, Hold on to God's promise. Because sometimes these trials seem to last so long and too long, but hold on to God's promise. There's deliverance coming. The promised land awaits us. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, today would be a great day to do that. I encourage you when we sing a song in just a moment to come to the altar. We'll meet you here. We'll pray with you. We'll, we'll share with you how you can have the promise of eternal life, the promise of that home that God or Jesus is preparing for you. And as you leave here today, I just wanna give you some thoughts here, some questions to ask, maybe to discuss, maybe it's in a small group, maybe it's with a spouse or your family or just with a friend. Joseph went from dreamer to slave to prisoner. How do you relate to that story? How's your, how has your life endured shattered dreams? 
How do you cope when things are just falling apart in your life? Is it through Jesus or is it through something or someone else? How do you cope? What can you do to never lose sight of the fact that God is working in your story? What can you do to remind yourself of that, to see God's handiwork at, at work in those moments? And then finally, how do circumstances shape us for the work that God wants to do to you? How does God, how does all of these circumstances that we're going through, how does it shape us? How do you see that as a part of God's redemptive story? Let's stand together. Father, we're so thankful today for the life of Joseph. Thank you for sharing it in so many details so that we can read this story that covers so much of the latter part of Genesis. And God, we can just relate so well to shattered dreams. So God, I first pray that you'll use this message and maybe our study this week as people go home and read this to just speak to us and encourage us and to hold on to the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And if there's somebody here today that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, it's my prayer that they would come to the altar or pray in their seat there and they would just confess you as their Lord and trust you as their Savior. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.